We're just saying that. Mary, did you know? Um, I'm pretty sure the next one after that comes in at number 49 with Oh Holy Night. Uh, and more and more radio stations across the country have been switching their formats to all Christmas, 24 hours a day. And it's not unusual for them for their ratings to actually increase when they do that. And they do it because, according to The Hollywood Reporter, that people who find the station often stick around after the holidays to discover a new favorite station, which is good if they're finding a Christian radio station. But music about, the, about Christ's birth uh, should be much more than a clever marketing scheme during the holiday season. Um, but, but could you imagine Christmas without music? I mean, wouldn't it be a shame uh, it, wouldn't it be a real tragedy if there were no songs to announce the Savior's birth, or if they were all just about snow or reindeer or jingle bells? Um, as, as we continue this morning looking at these songs for the Savior, we're going to listen to Mary's song today, it, and, and which is probably the most well-known Christmas song in Luke's gospel. And before we do that, before we get into our text this morning, uh, let's just take a minute and admit that very often Mary is misunderstood. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings about Mary. And Mary plays two widely different roles among Catholics and Protestants. Um, it seems that sometimes there is an overestimation of the importance of Mary. Uh, according to Pope Pius IX, he said, God has committed to Mary the treasury of all good things in order that through her are obtained every hope, every grace, and all salvation. Another pope put it this way. He said, it is the will of God that we should have nothing which is not passed through the hands of Mary. The Blessed Virgin is to be called queen, not only on account of her divine motherhood, but also because by the will of God, she had a great part in the work of our salvation. She cooperated in our salvation. And there's actually been another push to declare Mary the co-redeemer, mediator of all graces and advocate for the people of God. And it was even the early church father, Jerome, who would say, death through Eve, life through Mary. And before, before I say what I say next, please understand that I am not some kind of Catholic basher. I am not, that's not what we're doing. But it has to be clearly taught that Mary has no place in our redemption. It's only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you and I can have forgiveness of our sins and open access to God the Father. Mary, she's not a co-redeemer. She's not an advocate. She's not the dispenser of all grace. She is not our mediator. She needed to have her sins forgiven just as much as we do. And there's actually no biblical text to support that she lived a sinless life. Uh, there's no biblical basis for her being a perpetual virgin or for her bodily assumption into heaven. Don't, and I say this very humbly, don't give to Mary which belongs only to Jesus and that which she never asked for herself. And, and by the way, Jesus would even deflect reverence from Mary in, in Luke chapter 11 where he says, and he said these things, as he said these things, in Luke 11, verses 27 and 28, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And one other point to consider is, is, is that 
of the Apostle Paul's only reference to her in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Paul doesn't even use her name. And let me be quick to add that while many people may overestimate Mary's importance and attribute things to her that are not taught in the Bible, most Protestants, we underestimate her importance. Most of us with Mary, we allow her that cameo appearance in our Christmas cards, uh, the carols, a nativity scene uh, during this time of year, and then we tuck her away like a Christmas ornament, out of mind until next December. Mary is often the victim of simple neglect, having been abandoned to some kind of evangelical limbo. And as what we're going to see this morning is that Mary did play a very crucial role in God's plan. And let's not let those excesses concerning Mary keep us from admiring her and learning from the example that she set for us. So I'm going to pray, and we'll read our text from the first chapter of Luke's gospel. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for this opportunity for us to gather together uh, as we just approach Christmas, that time of year we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Father, open our hearts, our minds, and allow us to join in Mary's song and celebrate you and what you've done through your Son. Father, just be with us this entire season, reminding us of the real purpose, the real reason that we celebrate is the truth that you came into the world, that you came into the world for us because you loved us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we're going to learn from it this morning. And I just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, our text reads, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Or he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now, I, I want to set the scene for, for what's happening here. Mary, Mary has traveled this great distance to be with Elizabeth. She needed to be around someone who could understand her situation, and, and, and that would have certainly been her cousin Elizabeth. She was pregnant as well. She was well past her childbearing years. Something miraculous had happened in her life. So when Mary arrives, little John, he gives an extra little kick while he's still in the womb. John, even as this unborn child was already doing the job that God had gave him, which was to, to announce the arrival of the Messiah. Mary's song that we've just read is in response to Elizabeth calling the unborn Christ, my Lord. And in the verse immediately preceding Mary's song of praise, she says this in Luke 1.45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
See, God was using Elizabeth at this point. She was using her to call Mary's questions, her, and her doubts, they simply disappeared. Praise just exploded out of her like, like some kind of overflowing fountain. And the passage is like Mary just saying, ha And she gains this glimpse, this look into God's work through the years and seeing her own place in, her, in his plan. And I love this. Mary's music, it is spontaneous. It's poetical. It is profoundly theological. And since poetry is a heightened form of expression, it, it, it makes us slow down for a minute. Because when you're reading, when you get to this, you slow down automatically. I actually came across something good that we need to remember this week. They said, let's approach Christmas with an expectant hush rather than a last-minute isn't that the way it normally happens? There's this um, last-minute rush to get those last-minute presents, those last-minute things we have to get done. And we really need to be coming to Christmas expecting something, spending that quiet time, having that expectant hush. Now, as we focus in on Mary's song, I think we find three main points that can help us to actually better understand what it was that caused her to sing this song from the depths of her soul. And the first of these is Mary's adoration. The first is Mary's adoration. And she shows her adoration by first magnifying the Lord. She starts magnifying the Lord. This song has been known for hundreds of years as the magnificent. <laughs> Magnificant. I didn't take Latin, so don't blame me. Um, it's a Latin word to, ma to, for, to magnify. And to magnify, it just means to, to declare is great. It means to enlarge or increase in one's estimation. And it takes my mind to Psalm 34, verse 3, where it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Someone has written, and they said that, take note, your view of Jesus, it tends to shrink over time. And as your shrinking Jesus becomes small Jesus, he is easily eclipsed by your idols and ego. The bigger and more biblical your understanding of Jesus is, the more likely he is to be an object of love and adoration that the idols that aim at capturing your attention and swaying your allegiance will lose their power. Because small Jesus... Because small Jesus does not inspire awe, command respect, lead to worship, or compel us to talk to him. So please remember, Jesus is bigger than you tend to think. Now, if, if you're into music, you've probably noticed a lot of songs, they start off soft, and, and then they climax at the end. You know those songs, they build. And, and that's not how Mary's song works here. She just busts out. In this song of praise, she's declaring the greatness of God, and she begins with magnifying the Lord, and then she moves. The next thing she does is rejoices in her Savior. She is rejoicing in her Savior. It's because Mary, because she magnifies the Lord, because she makes him great in her eyes, she can't help but find joy in him. Verse 47 says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And the word for rejoice, it means to jump for joy, to be exceedingly glad. I can't do a lot of jumping right now. But when is the last time, when is the last time that you felt like jumping for joy 
because of Christ. That's how Mary felt. First, she shows her adoration for God, and then she moves on to describing God's attributes. And in this section, I'm going to borrow a few words from another author that he used to teach this passage, and we'll get to those words. But specifically, this is what Mary worships God for. First, she worships Him because He is mindful. She knows he is mindful. Verse 48 tells us, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The NIV translates it this way. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's been mindful. See, God, the thing we lose track of is that God is not distant from us. God sees everything that you're going through in life right now. He is mindful of the state that you're in. Psalm 34, 15 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. Mary, she, she refers to herself, she talks about herself as being of a low and a humble estate. And it, and it probably refers to her social position in the Jewish culture because she's a young girl and she's unmarried. The word humble, it, it references the fact that she's young, she's poor. And, and you read this and you have to wonder, did she have Psalm 136, verse 20 through in her mind, where it says, It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, Mary... Mary sees herself as, as an obedient servant. Uh, she takes the position of subordination and absolute submission to her Savior. And, and she, she's at this point, she can't get over the fact that, that God would choose somebody like her, a girl, a sinner, to bring forth the Savior. And yet she still marvels that the course, the entire course of human history, it's going to be changed that as all generations will remember how blessed she was just to be used by God. See, first, God is mindful. And next, we see God, that he is mighty. He is mighty. And we see this in verse 49. Or who is he, who, or he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In the first part of verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. See, she understands the truth of God that he's all-powerful. And she makes him the subject of the rest of this song. He's the subject. She's saying he has done great, he has done to me great things. She knows that he is holy. She knows that he is separate from sin and everything else. And Mary, what she's doing is turning all of her attention away from, from her. She's diverting the attention from herself and putting it all back on him. She may have been thinking about Psalm 24, verse 8, where it says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. We see that God is mindful, that he is mighty, and he is also merciful. He is merciful. We see this in verse 50 and verse 54. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse, 50, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
Now, that, that word mercy, it reminds, it refers to God's faithful love towards those who deserve punishment. And believe it or not, we all deserve punishment because we're all sinners. And if grace is getting what we don't deserve, then mercy is not getting what we do deserve. A fearing, when he, she says fearing those for fearing God, and it's, it's not to do with anything about being afraid of something, like you might be afraid of the dark or heights or, or, or spiders or clowns or snakes or any of those other evil things. It has to do with having a reverential respect for him. And I want you to see that God's intention, his intention is for his mercy to pass from one generation to another generation, from parents to children to their children, and on and on. And that tells me as a parent that we have a huge responsibility, that we have an amazing opportunity to affect the faith of those who come, for those to come for generations. First, Mary shows her adoration for God. She praises his attributes, and finally, she moves to God's action. She moves to God's action. And, and then she lists three types of people that God acts on behalf for. So God's actions are first on behalf of the humble. They're on behalf of the humble. If we look at verse 51 and 52, it tells us, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Uh, th this is just incredibly powerful language. It, it's revolutionary for the time. See, listen to this. God has no tolerance for the proud. He has no tolerance for pride. The phrase where he brought down, it means to demolish. It means to destroy, to pull down or throw down. Think of all the rulers who have come and gone around the world just in your lifetime. And it's always been the case because the kingdoms of this world, they are temporary and they are passing. She says, God lifts the humble and humbles the proud. James chapter 4, verse 10 tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God is the lover of the lowly. Isaiah 66, verse 2 tells us, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, think of it. God always goes with the underdog. God hates the proud and arrogant, but he honors those who are humble. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, we, we read about how Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson about pride. And, he's, and it says, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God's able to put those people in their place. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 adds, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble, to the humble he gives favor. See, in, in the world today, we, we tend to focus in on beauty, on wealth, on position, on possessions, position, on power. And someone wrote this, they said, This is the way God operates. The humble, the humble, they are shown mercy. While the proud receive justice, the lowly are lifted, and the lofty are brought down. God acts on behalf of the humble. And next, he acts on behalf of the hungry. He, he, he acts on behalf 
of the hungry. See, before, well, maybe this isn't true for everybody, but before you can be fed, you have to be hungry. Now, I know some people can eat with, it doesn't matter, they're just going to eat. But look at verse 53 in our text. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. And the idea behind being filled is to be fully satisfied. And the meaning of hungry is not just to have a little rumble in your tummy, um, like you might be right now, um, thinking about lunch, thinking, is he ever going to shut up? Is this going to be over soon? Not that little tiny rumble, but to be famished and to crave. And the truth is, some of us today, we are not spiritually satisfied. We're not satisfied spiritually because we're not famished enough. We're not hungry enough for God to fill us. Because what we've done is we've went and gorged ourselves on so many other things that we have no appetite for the spiritual matters. Someone said, when we get stuffed on the pleasures of this life, we do not feel our need for God. And then he has nothing more to give us. If we are too proud to admit we need God the way a beggar needs bread, he will send us away empty. Jesus would even say it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. <laughs> Let me ask. Do you notice in our culture, in our society today, that it counts, it depends on our discontentment? That's why all the commercials, that's why all the ads, they focus on what we think we need and that someday we'll finally be happy when we get what we can't live without. There are two verses from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 that should help us, and I don't think these are going to be on the screen, but write these verses down, look them up later. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. See, we, we think, well, we live in the land of plenty. So we want plenty. We want more than we need. I mean, we have two refrigerators and a deep freezer on our house that are filled with more food than we'll eat. We are blessed with more than we could ever need. And sometimes we get to the point that we think, I'm kind of content here. This is proverb, it says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. He's saying, don't get to the point that you want more or you're content or you don't have enough. Just ask that you have enough. No more, no less. So that we don't get to the point where we say, who is the Lord? I did this. Or we get to the point where we steal and and bring God's name down. God acts on behalf of the humble. He acts on behalf of the hungry. And finally, he acts on behalf of the helpless. 
He acts on behalf of the helpless. Um, you may have heard, tell me, raise your hand. Have you ever heard somebody say, God helps those who help themselves? Do you think that's true? It's actually the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. If we could actually help ourselves, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. We, we could be independent, we could be self-sufficient, and we wouldn't need a Savior. The truth is that God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who are helpless. He helps those who know that they can't help themselves. He helps those who know that they need something more than this world offers. But the truth, listen, look at the closing lines of this song in verses 54 and 55. It says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and His offspring forever. I love this because the picture behind the word help, it, it, mean, it means to take hold of, to grab hold of, to embrace, to support, and to help. And that's how God helps us. That's how he treats us when we're helpless. He embraces us and he supports us. See, Mary is remembering the covenant that God made to Abraham, and she's marveling. She is amazed that, that God's mercy is now coming to fulfillment through the son that she is going to bear. She was probably thinking of God's words to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, where God said, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Understand that God that he is always on the side of the humble. He is always on the side of the hurting. He is always on the side of the hungry. He is cheering on the orphan. He is cheering on the widow. He is for the elderly, for the poor, for the disabled, the deaf, the blind, and the feeble. God cares for those who can't care for themselves. See, listen, if Christmas teaches us anything, it's this. When we're humble, God can use us. When we are humble, God can use us. Today, people are listening to the lyrics of your life. People are listening to the song that you're singing, whether you realize it or not. And I wonder what they're hearing. There's a story I heard about a little girl... She's watching her mom and, their, and her dad. They're getting ready for Christmas. And her dad, he's just so preoccupied with, with all the burdens and the bundles. And, and, and her mom, she's caught up in the parties and the presents. And neither of these parents, the mom or dad, had any time for her. And she felt like she was being ignored, especially after she heard one of her parents say to her, would you please just get out of the way? And one night before she went to sleep, she knelt by her bed and prayed. Our Father who art in heaven, please forgive our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. What kind of song are people hearing from you this Christmas? Let me ask, is, is, the, music, uh, uh, is the music of your life, is it secular or is it spiritual? 
Is the music of your life, not what you listen to, is it worldly or worshipful? If someone would hang out with you for one day, would, would they hear a hymn of humility or would they get sick because of your pride? Would they be drawn to the Lord by the lyrics of your life? See, the key to Mary's music was the fact that she believed and she obeyed. Verse 45 tells us, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believed. And because she believed, she obeyed. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She says, I'm going to be obedient to what you've called me to do. What about you today? Are you ready to believe? Are you ready to believe and are you ready to obey? What is your song going to say today? As the worship team comes this morning, the truth about Mary's life is she was humble. She believed God's word and she obeyed. And it sounds simple, but for a lot of us, that's the most difficult part. We can believe that, that Jesus came at Christmas, that, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a horrible death on a Roman cross, that he was buried and raised back to life on the third day. We can believe that. But is it, if it's not making a difference in our life, if we're not becoming obedient to serving the way we're called to serve, if we're not humbling ourselves, maybe we don't really believe. Mary is just this amazing example of a young girl, maybe 13 years old, who heard God speak into her life. She trusted him, she believed him, and she was obedient. And today God is still speaking into our lives, calling us to faith, to belief, to trust, and to be obedient to live the way he wants us to live and to live a humble life, pushing the attention away from us and pointing it all towards the one who came to save us. So this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to make that decision today to say, Lord, I need forgiveness. I need hope. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that he came and did what he did on that cross for you and confess your faith in him. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it will make the biggest difference in your life. And if you've done that, he's called you to obedience. Mary didn't know how this was going to end she didn't know what was going to happen when she went back and told her, her fiancé and her family, by the way, I'm going to have a child. And, and God's the father. She didn't know what was going to happen. Joseph could have had her put to death. She would have been ostracized from her family. 
but she chose to trust and be obedient. And sometimes that's a big step because we don't know where it's going to take us. We don't know how our family or friends are going to react. But that's that step we have to take. And throughout all of this, Mary never, she never got full of herself. She never gloated. She just knew that she was fortunate to be used in God's plan. And today, the truth is, all of us can be used in God's plan to go and share the gospel, to go out into this world and tell people the good news that we celebrate at Christmas, that a Savior has been born. Maybe you need to make that decision today to say, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences, I'm going to live my life in obedience and faith. Maybe today God's calling you to be part of this church fellowship, to be part of this just local body of believers at Highland Hills. Whatever that decision you need to make, whatever God's put on your heart this morning, take it to Him, and He'll work in your life. You might not see how it's going to turn out, and you don't need to. Just trust Him. Let's pray, and we'll sing. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for the example of Mary. Thank you that she was just so willing to trust you, to be faithful, to be humble and obedient. And my prayer is that we submit our lives in the same way to you. With no expectations of, of, of glory, of, of power, of influence, just to play a part in the grand story of the gospel. Lord, help us be faithful to you. Help us just be the people you've called us to be. Intent on sharing the good news with the lost world. Allow us to be used by you. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for those that are here, for those who may be watching online, that, Lord, that you draw us close and embrace us. And remind us of the love that you showed sending your son into this world. Lord, thank you for your son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.